Good morning, Every Nation family. What a privilege it is for me to be here and share the word with you this morning. And let us just close our eyes and so that I can calm down and <laughs> let's just hear from God. Father God, thank you for this moment. Thank you that, that we can be here. Thank you that we can think over the week and think of the, the cold and the wind and the, the really unpleasant weather and this morning waking up to this this beautiful, bright, sunshiny day. And God, it says so much about you and who you are for us. And God, please help us to hear and to receive what you, has brought, you have brought for us this morning. Amen. Now, when I was in school, in high school, I was an athlete. And I did other sports and other activities as well, but athletics was the main thing. So just after we would play our last hockey match for the season, we would go to our athletics coach and start bugging him to hear when we could start training again. So he would probably like hold us down until mid-September when we will start training again. We would start by training about three to four hours a week and gradually increasing until in December we would practice straight through the December holidays, both on-site and off-site, taking off only the 16th of December, Christmas, and New Year. By the time we reached January, we would train three hours a day, one hour before school and two hours after school. Our coach would plan it meticulously so that we would all peak roundabout at the same time, end of February just in time for the inter-high, or as it's known here, the inter-schools athletics. We would all participate in one event, the 400 meter, once around the track. More than 160 hours of training for one minute of running. It all came down to that one minute. And if I read my Bible correctly, the same thing happens here. The whole Bible is centralized around one event, Jesus nailed on the cross. If you start in the beginning in Genesis, you read God's plan right through the Old Testament, the prophets, the Psalms, through the Gospels, the epistles, it all came down to this. In Ephesians 1, Paul is talking about it. He says, before the foundation of the earth, Jesus was chosen to take our place, to suffer in our place. Even Jesus is talking about this. In Mark 8, he's having a conversation with his disciples. He's saying, so who do the people say I am? And they gave, give various answers until Peter is saying, you are the Christ. And the moment Peter realized that, three verses further, Jesus say, but I am to die. I am to suffer on the cross. And if we get how important this is, this moment that changed everything for man forever, for the whole eternity, we will understand why we can spend seven weeks talking about this, the last words of Jesus on the cross, love out loud. And if we page in our Bible, we would find our word for today, a word of love, desolation. I'm going to, to invite you to open your Bibles at Mark 15, where we're going to read from verse 33. It will also be on the screen. 
This is the NIV translation. No, ESV. It's not. Mine is different. I'm going to read something else to you. And when the sixth hour came, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. The emotion in this paragraph almost wants us just to pause, to catch our breath. Just a few verses, but so much in this paragraph. The very specific mention of time of day. I have paged through the book of Mark, and I couldn't find another instance when time is mentioned so specifically. No one told us when the exact hour was when Jesus was captured, or in front of Pilate, or the high priest, or even flogged. But here, it's mentioned very specifically. The darkness. If you read all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, John, Luke, you hear different things that happened. And the whole time, you hear the snickering, the comments of the bystanders. And they're constantly saying something about everything that's happening. But nothing about the darkness. There's silence. And then, this question of Jesus when I read that Jesus used one of his last breaths to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It raises so many questions in me. This word, forsaken, it means abandoned or deserted, to give up or to leave entirely. In Afrikaans, it's God verlaten. You cannot say the word without saying that God isn't there. This is Jesus shouting out. He is the Son of God. He is asking why God had abandoned him. Can't that be true? That doesn't sound right. Because I remember the first verse that I memorized from the Bible, a little green tract in my Bible. Hebrews 13 verse 5. It says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I looked it up. It's the same word. Google said that that same promise is mentioned more than 127 times in the Bible. How can God say, how can Jesus say, why have you forsaken me? Why was Jesus left desolated on the cross? This morning, I want us to unpack these three questions. Why did God forsake Jesus on the cross? Why the darkness? And why the specific mention of time of day? And I hope this was, will make us understand how desolation can be a word of love. I want us to go back to Genesis, the first chapter. 
I love this story. This is probably my most favorite part in the Bible, Genesis and the story of creation. If you read it and see how it was knitted together, so much of who God is and His plan for us is pictured here. If you read the first verse, in the beginning, God. God exalted. God separated our holy God. I have tried to imagine so many times what that was like. Just God. And then the rest of the book, the rest of the chapter, every day God planned so much detail in the plan. And this chapter definitely climaxed in verse 26 when God said, And let us make man in our image after our likeness. We were created out of so much love. Pierre said it so beautifully a few weeks ago. The abundant love in the Trinity shared with us. God didn't need us. He wanted us. He wanted to share his love with us, his presence with us. A few verses later, we see how God gave Adam the command to name the animals. He has just created the animals. He thought of them. He planned them. And now he's given Adam the task to name the animals. What a gesture of trust. Again, saying so much about God's plan for us. And then in um, the next verse, Genesis 3 verse 8, it said this, And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. The picture painted here, the one that I want us to focus on first, is of God walking in the garden. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine meeting God in the garden to walk with him? One of the Afrikaans translations is, working, is using the word wandel. Let me explain wandel to you. Wandel is not a brisk walk. Wandel is not to achieve a purpose. It is like strolling. It is about lingering in the presence. Lovers wandel. You see them on the beach, walking hand in hand. Wandel is about the person. God is inviting us to walk with him in the garden. And what is Adam's response? Adam is hiding. There's this uh, Hebrew scholar, Marty Solomon, and he says, um, he's, he studied this paragraph and the ancient language and all, and he said in this specific instance, there were two words that could have been used to, for the question of God, where are you? The one is when you misplace something. The, the way I always misplace my phone is like I had it now, I put it somewhere, where is it? And then the other one, and this is the word that was mentioned here, is when you go to a specific place to find a specific person or thing and it's not there. And that is what God said. He said, where are you? Adam, you are supposed to be here. You are supposed to be in my presence. 
But Adam is hiding. Why? Adam sinned. And the moment he sinned, he felt desolate. A feeling of great unhappiness and loneliness. And what is so bad about sin? It brings separation. In the beginning, God. God is holy. God is exalted in perfect goodness and perfect righteousness. God is always good and always does what is right. God cannot be in the vicinity of sin. Adam sinned. In a moment of selfish ignorance, walking out of God's lingering presence into a state of desolation, complete abandonment and destruction. But God's plan for us never changed. We were created out of so much love. What Adam did in a moment of selfish ignorance, Jesus restored in a moment of selfless intentionality. That is how desolation becomes a word of love. In that moment, when Jesus was nailed at the cross, to the cross, he took all the sin that was ever done and all the sin that would still be done upon himself. The punishment, separation from God. Forsakenness. Jesus willingly put himself in a state of desolation so that we could be invited back into God's lingering presence. And, and why then? Why then would, would Jesus cry out and say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did he forget what it was all about? No. That moment when God left him, the feeling of separation and desolation was so overwhelming that Jesus couldn't but call out. In selfish Selfless intentionality, Jesus was separated from God so that we would never be in that position. So that we could forever hold on to the promise in Hebrews 13 verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The second thing in the scripture was the darkness. In Luke 23, verse 44, in New King James Version, it says, Now, it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. The darkness that was mentioned here was complete darkness. Some scientists say maybe a solar eclipse. And psychologists all over the world world agree that the fear of darkness is the most common fear amongst children. That you know that even amongst adults, the fear of darkness is more common than the fear of heights. 
Have you ever found yourself in the situation you have been living in the same house for 10 years? You know every nook and crack. You know everything. You know the sounds. You feel comfortable in this house until you are alone in this house in complete darkness. Every sound startles you. Every sound feels weird and eerie. We were not supposed to be in darkness. We were not created for darkness. And one of the things, the funny thing for me about darkness, it equals us. When there's light, some of us maybe need glasses because we can't see well, or outside we need sunglasses because the sun is too bright. But in complete darkness, we are all left blinded. In complete darkness, we can only be confronted by ourselves. The truth. Now, we cannot look at this darkness at the cross without drawing some parallels to other instances in the Bible where darkness was mentioned. This darkness at the cross happened during the Passover festival. The other darkness was just before the first Passover. This was in Exodus 10. And it was part of the ten plagues in Egypt, the ninth one. Three days of darkness. Complete darkness. But what is so remarkable about this darkness is that it is said all the Egyptians and their land were covered in complete darkness. But... All the people of Israel had light where they lived. Isn't that amazing? The people of God had light. Without God, the Egyptians were in darkness. So Passover was when the Israelites would slaughter a lamb, put the blood on the doorposts, and go into the promised land. Their sins passed over so that they can have freedom. The Jews at the cross had just participated in this event, the Feast of the Passover. They have just reread the scriptures, the three days darkness, the lamb, the blood, and the promise. They most likely made the comparison, standing in complete darkness at the cross. If they didn't, they were in a state of darkness. The same that's mentioned in Genesis 1, verse 2. It says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. I'm also thinking of another instance where darkness was mentioned in the Bible. And it was with Jonah. Can you remember the story? Jonah in the belly of the fish. Jonah, who tried to outrun God. Jonah, who tried to hide from God. Jonah, who tried to change the plans that God had for him. Jonah, in complete darkness, in the belly of the fish. Confronted by his sins. In front of an opportunity to repent. Listen to this. Let me leave my notes. I'm not going to go to the scripture. Jonah said, When I was driven away from your sight, my life was fainting away. I was hidden from your presence. 
But I remember the Lord. In thanksgiving, I turn to Him. Salvation belongs to God. Charles Spurgeon said the following about the darkness at the cross. It was not the crown of thorns or the scourge or the cross which made him cry. That's Jesus. But the darkness, the awful darkness of desertion which oppressed his mind and made him feel like one distraught. In that moment at the cross, the whole earth was in complete darkness. At that moment, the whole earth was in front of an opportunity to repent, to cry out, salvation belongs to God. The last thing that was so evident about the scripture was the very specific mentioning of time. So peculiar. It says, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. If you read the other translations, the one that was put up there, it says, and at noon, that's 12 o'clock in the afternoon. There's no darkness 12 o'clock in the afternoon. I think that's the first reason that they specifically tell us it's 12 o'clock. The other reason was that, and it's linking back to Passover again, is that Jesus died 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And Why is that so special? Listen to this. In Exodus 12, all the specifications of the Passover is written down. And in verse 5, it says, You shall take a lamb without blemish, a male, and you shall kill it at twilight. Again, Hebrew scholars explained it. That meant 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So if you understood Jew Jewish culture and times of day, you would realize that the Passover lamb was slaughtered at 3 o'clock. And in Luke 23 verse 44 it says, It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until 3 in the afternoon. Jesus called out and breathed his last. And maybe the most beautiful part of this specific mention of time can be understood if we knew how the ancient Eastern people interpreted time. In the ancient East, and the Hebrews were part of this, they began at, new, um, at evening. That's why in Genesis we read, and it was evening and it was morning. It was the first day. And it was evening and it was morning. It was the second day. Because that's when they began. And we started our story in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. It says, And God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That's just before evening. And then God called out to Adam. And he said, Adam, where are you? He called him into his presence. But Adam sinned. And because Adam and Eve sinned, they were removed from the garden. And they started their next day in desolation. 
throughout the Old Testament, we read stories of desolation over and over. People in unhappiness, destruction, abandonment, loneliness. Not very different from stories we hear today. And then somewhere in the Old Testament, we read about Egypt and the people of God that had three days darkness and then a sacrificial lamb so that they could be passed over for their sins. And they started their next day with the hope of a promised land. Today, we are standing still in the darkness at the cross. Three hours of darkness where Jesus wasn't passed over, but sacrificed, facing desolation, separation, and death. And with the last breath of Jesus, there was light. So that we can start a new day in God's lingering presence. God never changed. Everything was created out of so much love. We we created out of love. God's plan for us is still his lingering presence. Today, there's an invitation for us to start a new day in God's presence. And we're going to end with a song. And we are going to have opportunity to repent, opportunity to respond. But I want you to stop for a moment, to pause for a moment, and to hear God asking you, where are you? And when you listened, and when you hear the words of God's love, and his invitation and when you know that you want to start the new day in his presence I want you to stand up and respond with this song
and worship this morning I want to quickly turn your attention to Lamentations chapter 3 where there's another man in darkness and he was writing and if you read it in some of the paraphrased versions of the Bible like the message it said that it feels like I'm locked in a cave and you threw away the key I'm surrounded by so much darkness and then he said this yet steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to men. They are new every morning. Sometimes we think the message of the cross is a once-off response. But stepping into the new day is a daily opportunity. So if you want to step once more today into the new day that Christ has brought at the cross, that new mercies that is available this morning. Then let's respond in worship. Let's start again by saying, from darkness to light. I'm stepping out, Jesus. I'm stepping out. I'm receiving the fullness of what you've done at the cross for me this morning. Let's respond with our prayers of worship this morning. His grace changes everything. 
says this is David speaking to God you have said seek my face my heart says to you your face Lord do I seek and in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 the author says without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That's from the ESV. The New King James Version says, and believes that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God came looking for us first. He sought us out first. He sent Jesus to die for us, to reconcile us to the love of the Father. He made the first move. 
Now he says to us, I want you to seek me. As Pierre said, this is not something we do once in our lives. We do it every day. That's what the Holy Spirit encourages us to do, to seek him every day. And there's a promise attached to this, that he is a rewarder. He will reward you with his presence. He will reward you with breakthrough. He will reward you with deliverance, for, with healing for your soul. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Maybe you've never taken that first step and said, Lord Jesus, I put my faith and my trust in you. I choose to seek you. I choose to follow you. I choose to walk with you. Every day, the Holy Spirit invites us to encounter him and his loving kindness. Right now is such a moment. And if you've never done that, or if you want to, if you haven't done that for a long time, I encourage you to say in your heart now, Lord Jesus, I seek you. Lord Jesus, I choose you. Lord Jesus, I put my faith and my trust in you. Father, I thank you that it is your good pleasure to give to us, your children, the kingdom. To give the gift of righteousness and peace and joy and every spiritual blessing. So Lord, we open our hearts to you now. In our hearts, we turn towards you. We, we choose you. We seek you. And we, we thank you, Lord, for your gifts of love, righteousness, right standing with you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are a rewarder that you give us all the gifts of the kingdom freely because of the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Peter closes off the, his last letter by saying, but grow. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now to him be all glory, both now and till the day of salvation. To him be the glory. But grow, as you go, grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, our Savior. So we'll see you next Friday at New Gen at 9 o'clock uh, on Refinery Road. Please remember to register. And then on Sunday again back here, at nine o'clock. And for those of you that are interested in joining us, finding out more about who we are as Every Nation Helderberg um, in the lecture theater, Helena, thank you for leading us. Melindy, that was an amazing word, really touched and blessed my heart. Thank you. So, the, the word of God is powerful, but the woman of God is powerful as well. <laughs> So thank you, Melindy. That really was, that was special. Thank you so much. As I said earlier, thank you for being with us at church this morning.
Thank you for coming into the house of God. Thank you for opening your heart to him. He is that amazing. Have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. Bless you.